Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today, we're talking about the German government's new cannabis legalization plan, and we're discussing the exit from nuclear power. We'll be getting into the German obsession with asparagus and talking about why it's public holiday season. We'll talk about Barack Obama's upcoming visit to Germany and his special relationship with the country. And does it make sense for you to get the new 49 euro ticket? We'll let you know all the details about that. And we'll finish off by sharing some life hacks to help you feel like a local in Germany. I'm Rachel Oxen and I'm in Berlin today with journalist Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello, Rach. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm glad that spring is here and here to stay, it looks like. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a great long weekend and also absolutely loving this gorgeous weather we're having. Let's really hope it lasts. Yeah, it makes such a difference. And just to let our listeners know, this is the final episode of our second series. We'll be taking a two-week break and then we'll be back for our third series. And we'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who's listened to the podcast, downloaded it, shared it, left a review, subscribed, gave us five stars. We are very grateful and super excited because, of course, this allows us to keep bringing you the podcast. So keep doing it, please. And a special thank you also to members of the local Germany who really make this podcast possible. Let's talk about what's been in the news this week, first of all. So Health Minister Karl Lauterbach of the Social Democrats has been presenting the coalition government's revised cannabis legalization plans. And we are recording this podcast on Wednesday, April the 12th. And we were yet to hear all of the details on the new plans. So we'll make sure to include links in the show notes about this developing story. But Rachel, what are the indications at the moment? How does the coalition want to legalize recreational use of cannabis? So, Rach, the proposals at the moment look like individuals would be able to carry up to 25 grams of cannabis for their own consumption without facing any legal consequences. Um, and of course, more than this could be subject to penalties. And every individual person would have up to three cannabis plants, which they're able to cultivate themselves. And this is a change from the original draft, which envisioned allowing three plants per family rather than three plants per person. Um, and another detail that's changed reach is it looks like the sale wouldn't be allowed in pharmacies or these Amsterdam-style coffee shops. And it's still very much up in the air reach, but it looks like there could even be these so-called social clubs, like what you have in the U.S., where people are able to grow their own cannabis and consume it um, on these regulated premises. So 
Again, it's very much in the works what will actually happen with this legislation. But as of today, Wednesday, April 12th, these are the details which are being discussed. And so there are a few big differences from the draft law that we saw last year. Why have there been so many changes? Yeah, well, there was always a pretty big question mark about how the government was going to do this. But they mentioned it in the coalition pact that the traffic light coalition kind of put together back in November 2021. And they had these big plans. We heard a lot about pharmacies. There was some sort of rumours about coffee shops. And when Lauterbach, so the health minister, released his key points paper last October, uh, he seemed really, really bullish about the chances of getting this through. Um, He just said that the last small hurdle was just to sort of nip over to Brussels, get the green light from the EU on this. Clearly, this wasn't quite as simple as he made it sound. That's actually because the EU has this convention on narcotic drugs, which bans member states from cultivating or selling cannabis for recreational use. So I'd say they've had to tread pretty carefully when trying to design a law that wouldn't contravene that regulation. What we've got here seems to be a kind of symptom of that legal issue. They've really had to bend over backwards to find a way to do this that isn't in breach of the EU's existing regulations. So really it is if you're growing it yourself, then you have very easy access. Otherwise, it's going to be a little bit harder, as you said. Do we have any idea of when this will possibly come into force? Well, we've heard a few things. And the date that has been banded around in previous kind of drafts of this legislation or key points papers that have come out has been 2024. I think, again, the government are now feeling a little bit more bullish on this. There's been some rumours perhaps maybe they'll be able to force it through in the spring kind of parliamentary season. That said, you know, you can imagine that the logistics of this are going to take a little bit of time to implement. So again, you know, if I had to guess, I would say we're not going to necessarily be seeing in the coming months. We're going to have to maybe wait just that little bit longer. Let's move on. So there's a big milestone happening on April the 15th because this is the day that Germany is finally going to shut down its nuclear power plants. They were meant to stop operating at the end of 2022, but their lifespan was extended because of the energy crisis sparked by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Imogen, why is Germany shutting down its power plants, especially in a time of energy worries? Yeah, it does on first glance look like odd timing, but it's really worth pointing out that this has been in the pipeline for a long, long time. Um, So the German Bundestag has been looking for a way to do this really way back since 2002. And they actually voted to shut down the remaining nuclear power plants way back in 2011. So this was a long time before anyone had the idea that Putin was going to invade Ukraine and that Germany would suddenly need to kind of become independent from its long-term energy supplier, which is Russia, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the time when they made this kind of quite quick decision, it was prompted by the Fukushima disaster in Japan, which was actually the most severe nuclear catastrophe since Chernobyl in the 80s. The fact that this disaster had happened at the time kind of really bolstered these critics of nuclear power who had really been saying for a long time that this just isn't a safe or sustainable way to produce energy. If you look at the arguments now, safety is still the major reason that Germany wants to end any reliance on nuclear energy. So proponents of nuclear energy point to the fact that the carbon footprint is low, that we need something to 
transitional while we're trying to build up renewable energy. But the counter argument to that is the issues with the fact that you're working with radioactive materials that are harmful to human life and just the fact that there's waste that you don't know quite how to dispose of. We've also seen more recently that nuclear power stations have been targeted and Russia's attacks on Ukraine. And this has kind of added to these fears that these plants could be more of a vulnerability than anything. I suppose the other thing to mention is that Germany is now in a way better place in terms of its energy supply than it was a year ago or even six months ago. And Germany has actually managed to transition away from Russian gas entirely, so way quicker than it thought it would be able to do. So that's another argument for saying, well, maybe we should do that nuclear shutdown now. And Germany has had a complicated relationship with nuclear power. Is that fair to say, Imogen? What's that about? Yes, absolutely. And this this has a long history as well. Germany has actually been at the forefront of the kind of anti-nuclear movement since the 1970s. And there's still this scepticism in many parts of the population just right up to the present day. There's actually this legendary protest that took place in this tiny hamlet of Wiel in Baden-Württemberg back in the 70s. And nuclear activists at the time, or anti-nuclear activists, and students actually occupied a plot of land to prevent a nuclear power plant being built at the time. So police obviously tried to clear the area, but there were tens and thousands of activists and more and more kind of turning up each day. And this ended up with the local administrative court actually revoking the licence for the plant. So in other words, the activists won. Mm-hmm. So this big legendary process really started a national conversation. There were terrible optics of police dragging protesters around, pummeling them with water cannons. These optics just really, really weren't good. And it started this kind of national conversation, which is widely now seen as the catalyst for a more national anti-nuclear movement in Germany. So this has been inspirational for other countries, other anti-nuclear movements. um, And the Green Party, as we know it, actually grew out of this movement. So their anti-nuclear stance has really been one of their core principles for quite some time. And that's interesting as well because the Greens are in the coalition government and they had to concede to extending the lifespan of the nuclear power plant. That must have been painful. Absolutely, absolutely. There was a lot levelled at the Greens last year in terms of them abandoning their core principles, you know, selling out, being too pragmatic in many ways. I think there was a time at which they'd abandoned their pacifist stance. Uh, They were quite keen to send weapons to Ukraine. they allowed LNG terminals to be built in the North Sea in spite of the threat to porpoises actually in the area. And then the last pillar, this anti-nuclear stance, was the last thing to fall. Um, And they really took some hard criticism for that. Obviously, though, you know, they have kind of kept this determination to see this through and eventually shut down the plants, even though they agreed to extend them. Even sort of last year, when there were questions about the energy supply, they were arguing with the FDP about this. So the FDP were saying at the time, well, let's just keep the nuclear power plants running. The Greens were saying, maybe we should shut them down, keep them on standby. And the Social Democrats, as usual, kind of played piggy in the middle. So So in the end, what ended up happening is that Chancellor Olaf Scholz stepped in and said, well, we'll keep them running and then we'll shut them down on April 15th. Mm -hmm. So you might think that these debates are now all 
done and dusted. That doesn't actually seem to be the case. Even this week, we've had FDP Vice President Wolfgang Kubicki speaking to the press, describing the shutdown as a huge mistake that will have painful consequences for Germany. So the FDP is still arguing that the nuclear power plants in Germany are some of the safest and most modern in the world, and that we need them as a transitional energy source. So honestly, I can see this debate carrying on even as the nuclear power plants are being shut down. And how will they actually be shut down? What does that involve? Yeah, Rach, so I should add that these plants have been shut down several times before for just normal inspections. And up until this point, they've already been running at a lower capacity, around 70%. So they would slowly um, deactivate the power level to around 30%. And at that point, no more electricity would be fed into their kind of high voltage network and the generator would be automatically disconnected from the power grid. So it's essentially a slower process of disconnecting from the grid to be as safe as possible. I think there's also a question of how they're going to dispose of all this nuclear waste. You know, the actual process of of shutting down the plants is going to take a couple of days. But the question of how to dispose of of toxic radioactive waste will probably carry on for the foreseeable future. I think they've set a deadline of maybe somewhere around sort of 2030, 2031 for deciding where to put the waste. But there are some estimates that are saying that we won't actually be able to see this through and bury the waste in the ground until sometime in the 2040s or even as late as the 2060s. That's a long time. Thank you so much for those updates. Let's talk about something seasonal and something very tasty. I think most people would agree. So if you live in Germany or you've visited around this time of year, you probably noticed a lot of asparagus around. It just starts popping up at farmers markets and supermarkets. And it's usually the white variety of asparagus rather than the green one that you see everywhere. And it also starts creeping onto menus. You just start seeing spargel everywhere. Can we talk about this German phenomenon, guys? Yes. Yes, yes. yes. Bring on the Spargel. (laughs) Imogen, what is Spargelzeit? Well, unless you've been covered in a big pile of mud in a field in Brandenburg for the past few months, which is incidentally how Germany's white asparagus is grown, you've probably noticed that Germans go a little bit crazy for Spargel at this time of year. So Spargelzeit itself actually refers to this asparagus harvesting period, which usually takes place from around mid-April to late June or start of May to late June, depending on the weather. So around this time, you're going to have a pretty hard time steering clear of this white asparagus. You'll probably see big colourful banners in the supermarket announcing whichever local brand of Spargel is popular in your area. And you'll probably also notice that most German restaurants are going to put together a special Spargel carter, which is their special seasonal asparagus menu and it'll have a range of spargel based dishes on there including the ultra traditional combo of potatoes and hollandaise sauce don't just expect to see it in german dishes though i've personally encountered everything from spargel pizza uh, to spargel flavored ice cream when i've been out and about in spring in germany so Mm. keep an eye out for some pretty weird and wacky combos there yes i'm sure it even got into the chocolate at one point i'm sure it has 
I'm sure it has. I mean, there's an argument for that. A few more vitamins in your daily dose of chocolate. Who there knows? you go. And how popular is this vegetable really? Oh, the hype is definitely real. Spargel is hugely popular in Germany. Um, and unlike other kind of traditions, the popularity doesn't seem to be waning at all. Uh, so according to some recent stats, Germany produces around 113,000 tonnes of spargel every year. And the average person consumes 1.5 kilograms of the stuff during Spargelzeit. Um, <laughs> it's also something that Germans often say they miss when they move abroad, along with German bread. So obviously for us, Spargelzeit is quite quirky and exotic. But many Germans say they're actually really surprised that other countries don't have this big kind of Spargel celebration, especially with the kind of iconic white asparagus that they know and love. So you can also see the admiration for the vegetable kind of coming through in the German language a little bit. You'll often hear Spargel referred to as white gold or the vegetable of kings. So it's really seen as something of a delicacy. And do we know where the Spargel lifestyle obsession comes from? Like, why has it developed into such a big thing? That's a really good question. And I think it's also one that a lot of Germans would struggle to answer themselves. But I'd say... Just out of speculation, there are quite a few reasons for it. So one factor may be that asparagus is really just an iconic homegrown vegetable here in Germany. In fact, one Roman chronicler actually talks about Spargel growing in Germania back in ancient times. Culturally, I'd say Germany is also very in touch with the agricultural calendar and seasonal produce in general. And perhaps the fact that Spargel happens to get harvested in spring has turned it into much more of a kind of cultural phenomenon. So this is the time of year, obviously, that everyone's coming out of hibernation. They're getting on their bikes. They're getting out to the countryside. Folk festivals are happening. Farmers markets are happening. So I kind of see the spargle obsession as a kind of symptom of this feverish excitement you get when the weather starts to get nice. You suddenly have two sunny days in a row or even more. And you see that first bit of blossom on the trees. Another really cute aspect of it, I think, is the local pride. So pretty much every region has their own homegrown source of spargel. You've got Munsterland spargel in North Rhine-Westphalia. Uh, you've got Schrobenhausen in Bavaria. And in Berlin and Brandenburg, it's Bielitz. So these towns are basically built on spargel. I actually went on a trip to Bielitz, uh, which is nicknamed Spargelstadt Bielitz uh, a few years ago. And as you go into the town, you kind of see all these little spargel figurines that kind of men and women welcoming you to the Spargelstadt. So they really, really make a big deal of it. And it really is at the heart of these little communities. That's brilliant. And just to add on to what you were saying there, Imogen, I really do think that convenience food isn't such a big thing in Germany, you know, kind of packaged vegetables and fruit and all that kind of thing compared to, let's say, the US and the UK. And I really think the whole obsession with spargel and other seasonal fruit and vegetables is really part of that. They like to grow things and, you know, not take the easy way out. They like to see it through. They have patience. They're like, to cultivate. And these fruits and vegetables really symbolize the start of a new season in the autumn um, or at the end of summer. You have the Pfefferlinge site where you see a special mushroom menu at most restaurants. You have the Korbe site, the pumpkin time where you have a special pumpkin menu. Coming into the summer, you see strawberry trucks even in the very center of Berlin, which have brought in all of these freshly grown strawberries from the countryside. So German 
humans definitely celebrate and mark the start of new seasons through their produce. Yeah, that's definitely true. We also really need to talk about the Spargel Queen thing. Is this like a pageant? Can you explain this a bit more, Rich? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, Rach. So speaking of local pride, the Spargo Queen is sort of an ambassador of asparagus. She is usually a younger woman in her early 20s who applies for the position in advance. And it's not necessarily a beauty contest, but when she is anointed as the Spargo Queen, she stands in a field um, holding the first harvested a batch of asparagus, and that's usually right before kicking off a local Spaga fest. So all of these regions like Bielitz, they anoint a Spaga queen who basically holds office, so to speak, for a year before the next queen is anointed. And there's also a king, but he doesn't quite have the same significance as the queen, who's the one who really kicks off the season in her symbolic gown. There is a king. There is a king. A lot of regions also have a special king, but the queen is really the one who shows everybody that the asparagus has come and that they can now go and eat it and celebrate and bask in the sun. (laughs) There you go. A massive cultural phenomenon here. Thank you so much for that, guys. As well as Spargeldzeit, we also have a quite nice time coming up in Germany because there is a good run of public holidays around this time of year. It kicked off with Easter. We had Good Friday and Easter Monday, which gave many people a long weekend. So I thought today we could talk about some of the holidays coming up so people can plan the fun part of their lives and do another German favourite thing, which is to take a Brückentag or Bridge Day. Can you give us a little overview of when the days off are coming and what they are? Yeah, right. So in May, there are going to be three national public holidays that workers in Germany can look forward to. The first is the Tag der Arbeit, or Labor Day, which is going to be on Monday, May 1st. And this day is usually marked with protest, especially in places like Berlin's Kreuzberg district. They could get a little bit rowdy, but for most 
most people, it's simply a day to relax outdoors with their friends and family. And then there are a couple more religious holidays. There's Christi Himmelfahrt, which is also known as Ascension Day in English. That's on Thursday, May 18th. There's Pfingstmontag, which is also known as Pentecost in English, and that's at the end of the month on Monday, May 31st. And if you're lucky enough to live in eight German states, then you can celebrate Corpus Christi, um, also known as Von Leichnam in German, and that's going to be on Thursday, June 8th. And what is the art of taking a bridge day, and why is that thing here? Yeah, so bridge days, which are also known as Fenstertage, if you're in Austria, usually fall on Tuesdays or Thursdays. And so you would take either a Monday or a Friday off, meaning that you only have to take one day off work and you get a four-day weekend. And they're huge here, right? They're really huge here because Germans get at least 25 days of vacation per year and really try to make the best of them. And also, unlike in countries such as the U.S., if a public holiday falls on a weekend, they don't get that day off. And so when a bridge day does come along, they really take advantage of being able to take the full day or even a week off of work. Yeah, and that's obviously something that people should know about public holidays in Germany. Another thing that I was thinking about that is a good thing to know about public holidays is that they are really treated like a Sunday. A fire tag is not a day for going crazy usually. Everything is closed and, you know, it wouldn't be right to do some crazy DIY hammering, vacuuming really loudly. I think that would be frowned upon. I think that's definitely true and I think you'd see in the run-up to these enforced days of rest and leisure, Germans manically trying to get mm. everything done, especially if, like over Easter weekend, you have these two days where everything's shut in a row. So there's always this joke that, you know, Germans basically prepare for the coming apocalypse or, you know, as if they're stashing up a nuclear bunker when they go to the supermarkets uh, the day before a bank holiday, filling their baskets with as much bread and beer as you can possibly imagine. I would say, though, you do not have to do that necessarily. My top tip is to look for any open supermarkets, which are generally at train stations if you do miss out mm. on getting something you need ahead of the bank holiday. So those are usually open when everything else is closed. So I wouldn't panic if you don't have quite enough Prosecco in to last you. You can still find, uh, obviously, Spätis and some open supermarkets at specific places. Good advice. Thank you, boss. So let's move on to who's been in the news in Germany. And yeah, it's it's been a fairly quiet week because we did have the Easter break. But there has been a bit of talk about the former US President Barack Obama coming to visit. Rachel, what is this visit about? So Obama is going to be coming to Berlin as the last stop on a three-city European tour. And he's going to be speaking at the Mercedes-Benz Arena, which is usually reserved for giant sports matches or concerts. And this definitely differs from his previous visits where it's been a very select, small crowd. Now you're seeing mass tickets going for between 83 and 550 euros per seat. It's still possible to buy 
buy them in advance. And Obama's speech is basically going to center on as the Mercedes-Benz Arena website describes it, leadership and how we navigate the future in the face of turbulent political times. And they haven't said if it's going to specifically tie in with, you know, the war in Ukraine or any specific um, event, but we can only guess that he is going to touch on the topics of the day as his speeches usually do. Sounds like he's a rock star now playing a massive arena. Yeah, he's he's definitely getting a rock star reception, that's for sure, despite his several years now out of office. He kind of has a special relationship with Germany, right? Yeah, so Obama visited Germany a total of six times during his eight years in office, and that's more often than any of his predecessors. And even while he was campaigning for his presidency for the first time in 2008, he paid a famous visit to Berlin in which he uh, gathered a crowd of over 200,000 people. And he also tends to have a pretty special relationship with Merkel, who was certainly his closest international partner in eight years. Angela Merkel, the former German chancellor. That's right, yeah. Yeah, they were always kind of hugging and stuff in, in the, the photos and videos that I saw of them. That's right, and it's funny because Merkel herself is famously standoffish, and there's even a famous photo where Obama casually taps her on the shoulder and she's a little bit squeamish. But for the most part, she very much warmed up to him and she even smiled when he dubbed her my friend Angela um, on one of his visits, which would be absolutely unthinkable for any German politician (laughs) to say to her. But I think Obama had a very special place in her heart and vice versa. Uh, But you could see this kind of by the way that Obama honored her during the time when he was in office in 2011. Merkel even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, um, which Obama said was for her eloquent voice for human rights and dignity worldwide. And during the refugee crisis, In 2015, he praised Merkel for her courageous leadership. And before Obama left office, she was the last leader with whom he had a telephone call. So I think that they both had a very special relationship with each other, which you could see from the sorts of interactions they had um, during official visits and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems really weird to call Angela Merkel Angela or Angela, doesn't it? Like Frau Merkel to you. (laughs) It it feels like a taboo to even say it on this podcast. (laughs) There's no, hey, hey, Angie, that's not. Yeah, <laughs> not going to work. Great. OK, let's move on and talk about the 49 euro public transport ticket because it's starting next month on May the 1st. And we at the local have been digging into who benefits from it the most and if people should get it. And it's also a little bit confusing because there are still possibly some regional offers coming that haven't been finalised in some cases. So we're going to talk about what we know so far so you can make a decision about whether to buy it at the moment. Imogen, first of all, what should we know about the way the Deutschland ticket works? Yeah, so in many ways it is pretty similar to last summer's hugely popular nine-euro ticket. Uh, So you've got one monthly ticket and they're done by calendar months and it lets you travel on local and regional transport 
all over the country. There are a few key differences, though, and the main one is how you purchase the ticket. So you may remember kind of grabbing a nine-euro ticket at a ticket machine or maybe on the Deutsche Bahn app, which you could do quite spontaneously, and then just picking up a new one the next month. It is a bit different with the 49 euro ticket or the Deutschland ticket. The idea with this is that you get it as a digital abo, so a monthly rolling subscription, which just carries over for, to the next month if you don't cancel it. In this sense, it's a bit more similar to the regional monthly tickets that you may already have a subscription for. And here's where it gets a little bit complicated. When the 9 euro ticket came in, people maybe stayed on their existing abos or if they had a student semester ticket, they basically got auto automatically refunded the difference. And that meant that for people who maybe had specific terms and conditions with their existing uh, ABO, you know, maybe taking a bike or taking people with you at the weekend, that all was included uh, in the nine euro ticket. But the benefit was that you could travel all over the country with it. So in that sense, last summer switching was an absolute no-brainer. With the 49 euro ticket, the terms and conditions are just a little bit more restrictive. So some people may need to think a bit more carefully before they make the decision to switch. And and let's start with families then. Is it worth parents getting the 49 euro ticket? This is a bit of a tricky one. And the short answer is it depends how you use the ticket at the moment. So a lot of monthly abos are designed with families in mind. So you can travel with one other adult and and perhaps a certain number of kids using a single ticket, usually during off-peak times. If that's a feature that you use a lot and you value, um, then you'll probably need to think a bit more carefully about whether the 49 ticket is for you. Because in most cases, you won't be able to take anyone else with you when you do have a Deutschland ticket. So you'd be purchasing one for pretty much every member of the family. Obviously, it is a romantic idea to be able to take the train all over Germany rather than just having the ticket restricted to your local area. But I would say if you're mostly using public transport locally and possibly renting a car when you take longer trips, maybe a local ABO could still make more sense. That said, the Deutschland ticket is a bit about changing habits. So you may decide that it's worth getting your family a ticket so that you can all maybe take weekend trips together and just have that freedom and maybe not rely on a rental car after all. And what about people who commute regularly for work? This one's much more of a no-brainer. So the Deutschland ticket is way cheaper than most local monthly tickets, especially if you are outside of the main metropolitan area. So in Brandenburg, for instance, and commuting to Berlin. One thing to note here as well is that you may be able to get an extra discount on the Deutschland ticket in the form of a job ticket through your work. So that would knock the price down to around 34 euros per month, which I'd say is an absolute bargain. And what about other groups like people who usually cycle, people getting around to visit their friends? pensioners and job seekers? Uh, just, just <laughs> no just one a, in particular. No one in particular, <laughs> but what about these groups? Um, well, one thing to know is is in the vast majority of these kind of uh, cases that there aren't national discounts available, unfortunately. But some regions are looking into having special deals, perhaps for students or seniors or job seekers. The other thing in the case of cyclists um, is that in the vast majority of states, you generally can't take your bike with 
with you if you buy a Deutschland ticket. So if you are someone who likes to cycle a lot, maybe cycle to meet friends on a night out and take your bike back on the train afterwards, we recommend looking out for local bike tickets that you could maybe buy as an add-on to the Deutschland ticket. So normally you can get these either for the day or you can get a monthly version. Uh, so you can still take advantage of the Deutschland ticket, but just get that little extra ticket to ensure that you're still able to take your bike. Good to know. And do we know anything else about any special regional discounted tickets so far? Yeah, Rach. So there are a lot of states that are offering special tickets for younger people. Baden-Württemberg, a southwestern state in Germany, is allowing people under 21 to travel for less than one euro per day. But that's restricted to within the state. And so if you're in Bavaria, there's a similar ticket for 29 euros per month, but you can travel anywhere in the country with it. And if you're in northern Hamburg, and a school child, you can travel nationwide for 19 euros a month. And so in addition to these deals for younger people, there are some special tickets for those who receive social or welfare benefits. And in Hesse, for example, for 31 euros a month, you can travel throughout the country. And the northern state of North Rhine-Westphalia is thinking of following suit, but haven't officially released a ticket yet. So all over, you're seeing a lot of these tickets uh, particularly catered towards younger people, um, university students, um, as well as people who are receiving any sort of social benefits. Really good to know. Thank you so much, guys. Let's finish off by sharing some life hacks that make living in Germany that little bit easier. We like to try and do this often at the local. And today I thought we'd focus on tips to really make you feel like a local in Germany. What kind of things do you both recommend? My top tip is really to get to grips with the documents that you can keep or should keep and the documents that you can throw away. Uh, so I've recently got into the habit of whenever I get something important that I know is going to be absolutely essential in my life, the Anne Meldong, so your registration is a classic example of this, I scan it into my laptop. And so obviously I keep it in the house, but paper is easy to lose. So if you know that you are definitely going to need something, make a digital folder, scan it all in, and you know where to find it. You don't have that crazed panic of rifling through documents a minute before you're meant to, you know, go to the library or get an appointment to open a bank account. That's a really good tip. Yeah. And for me, a big thing has been supermarkets. That's definitely the last place that a person wants to dawdle in Germany. If you're in the checkout line, it's a bit like a sporting match where people try to get to the front as quickly as possible. And so I would recommend sorting your groceries before you get there so that you have the heavier things in front and all these items should already be ready to be packed away. I typically pay with credit card just so that I could slow down the process and buy myself a few extra seconds of time to pack everything away. Yeah, and my tip for that is put the, the loose produce at the end, you know, so they so they take a little while to find the sweet potatoes or the onions and stuff, you know, because they have to find them on this system and it gives you a little bit of time to pack. Definitely those precious few seconds of them typing in that yeah. long number, <laughs> oh, they are valuable seconds. Yeah, packing more spaghetti 
get at this time of year and you can win some time back. There you go. My tip is just to be aware how Germans tell the time. In the UK, for example, we say half six and that means 6.30. But in Germany, half six or half six means 5.30. So they say it like half two six. And that is a rookie mistake that I made when I recently arrived in Germany and was meeting a German at that time. And I was late. I was like an hour late. Oh dear. Yeah, it's a crucial one to remember because you don't want to be full of foul of the way they tell the time. You also don't want to not be punctual. Those are two key d- taboos that you fell afoul of there, Rachel. I really did. And so you got to keep on top of it. But it's a great great way to remember for next time. I'm sure you've never forgotten how they tell the time again. Exactly. We're now at the end of the episode and the end of the season. Thank you to all our listeners. And as always, we'll add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about today. This week's panellists have been Imogen Goodman and Rachel Stern and our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we will be back after a two-week break. Until then, take care.